You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Track of M's local watering hole, coming at you live this week from Corellia. Gosh, I love, I just love a good Corellian ale. And with me this week uh, to chug a Corellian ale and to talk some Star Wars, the one and only Bruce Gibson. Chugga, 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 woo, woo, I'm chugging that ale. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, it's great to have you back here, Bruce, as we're uh, getting closer and closer to the rise of Skywalker. I know. See, this is what I love because I'm seeing it on the 19th. And now that we're in December, it's so easy for me to say what how many days are left because I just take today's date and subtract it from 19. And I go, oh, this is how many days left. I do that every day now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that, um, yeah, I'm just super excited mainly too because I, as of this recording, I have 13 days of work left this year. So it's also very exciting. Ooh, so. I hadn't thought about that. That's a uh, good thing too. I know, I know. And what's so great about it is that the night that I see the rise of Skywalker the first time on that Thursday night, the next day I'm free. I have no, I no, I don't have to work or anything. I just get to bask in the glory, hopefully, of the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I'm taking that Thursday and Friday off. Very but, nice. Because I have a feeling I will have to work some of the holiday period. Mm. Some, yeah, of it. that's what you get for being in showbiz. Yeah, you know that's how it works. People chugga chugga chugga. <laughs> Well, uh, before we get into the show today, as we're going to be talking about Resistance Reborn, uh, the Star Wars book here for adults that came out uh, that helps set up the rise of Skywalker. But uh, like I said, before we do that, just a quick reminder, you can find us wherever you get podcasts. Look, it's the holiday season and whoop-de-doo and dickery Doc. And if you want to give us the best review... We'll read it out on the show. That's the best gift that you could give us. Hit us up with a star rating review over there on Apple Podcasts. Of course, you can get us wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you do yourself a favor and subscribe to the show. So as soon as that I drop a show, you will get it. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. And we've got the listeners on the discussion group there on Facebook called the Babel Conference. You can also go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that email comes to Christy and I, and we can talk to you about that that way. And then last but not least, want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Wyan Millette, and Daniel Noah. Really appreciate these guys for supporting the show for so long and being associate producers here. Now, Patreon is the way that you can help support the network and make sure that everything that we're doing here on the network keeps coming to you. There are a lot of shows coming out, and if you notice, we just started a brand new podcast because Star Trek Picard is going to be coming out. So with that and the edge and everything else that we do here, we cannot do this without you. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of our team Every little bit helps uh, a month. We got some great contribution levels you can give at, though. Again, that's patreon.com slash trackfm. So, Bruce, this book, uh, Resistance Reborn, starts pretty much right after The the Last Jedi. Um, And what we have left in the Resistance is the Millennium Falcon and a few starfighters. And one... I was really fascinated that, honestly, I think this may be the worst spot for any of our heroes in any of the movies and any of the Star Wars parts of the saga. I can't think of a worse position to be in than basically having like six ships to your name, and that's the Resistance. Yeah, not only that, but there are some members of the Resistance that aren't even aware that they're down in numbers by that much. And so they're told in this book... That, oh, yeah, we just have this ship left or this, these few people left. 
So it really is at a low, low starting point. You're right. Right. After The Last Jedi, I remember in this book, Leia says it's only been a few days or something, or she's thinking it's been just a few days since Ray came to crate on the Millennium Falcon and, and took them off the planet. And so, you know, it to me, this book feels like that ending of The Last Jedi where hope is at an all-time low. The resistance is at an all-time low. And now it's like, okay, we have to dig our way out of that. We have to come out and rise above where we are and get numbers. But I don't know how they're going to do it because I, the res, uh, I'm sorry, the First Order is everywhere at this point. And the resistance isn't getting the support that they thought they were going to get. I'm just imagining the theme song to this book is we're at an all time low instead of high, you know? <laughs> right. So yeah, yes. um, that's exactly where they are. No, and I, I'm right there with you because I think it's, it's interesting that this book, it, its whole purpose of, of existence is to help kind of lay that foundation uh, for the rise of Skywalker and kind of how the resistance can go from zero to hero by then. Because like you said, how do they get there? I mean, you legitimately have the Millennium Falcon and the Starfighters left in the Black Squadron. That's it. That's It's legitimately five ships. Six. I mean... It, yeah, how do you it, go up against hundreds, if not thousands, of ships? Yeah, and I mean, you know, they had a good run in the sense that the Haldo maneuver takes out a lot of Star Destroyers. But still, the First Order, like you said, is everywhere in this book. And so I was just really fascinated with the fact that we just, we truly, you know, the where The Last Jedi ended, where it was just the Millennium Falcon, that's pretty much the sum of the Resistance. And so... Moving us forward, do you feel like, just kind of overall, by the end of the book, do you feel like this book put you in a place where you could imagine? Because we've also read the comic, uh, Allegiance, so we've seen a a little bit after this story, um, and, and the resistance obviously is continued, but do you feel like these are helping you put you in a place where you could actually see the resistance in a year building up to taking on the first order in any capacity uh not really <laughs> i mean y- you mentioned this book and the allegiance comic and today i just finished reading spark of the resistance so it all falls into this realm of and then this time period of building the resistance but what i don't see is that much of a resistance or rebels or whatever you want to call them at this point i don't see them being built as something that big and powerful yet it's like they're still, you know, scraping what they can gather and getting the support that they need. I mean, there's there's hope there. And I know that's a big message, at least here in the sequel trilogy and in these books, the whole thing about hope. But if these books are any sign of where we're going to start with the rise of Skywalker, there's still very little of the resistance because there's so many planets and governments out there that are afraid of the First Order and are not willing to step up. So I can't imagine reading these books and especially this book and going into the rise of Skywalker and seeing, oh my gosh, look how much they build up. They, you know, the resistance has a huge army. They got tons of ships now. Maybe that's going to happen, but I'm not getting a sense in these books that's going to start that way in the rise of Skywalker. Maybe it happens during the rise of Skywalker that they get all these other ships. Well, and I think so. Absolutely, because I I keep thinking of that shot in the trailer where you have yes. all of those ships. I'm like, where do all those come from? And and I'm guessing, you know, spoiler alert, that comes from the very end of the book where Poe says we're going to go help people, and then hopefully they'll want to help us, basically. And that you would get to that point where basically, I guess, the galaxy rises up against the First Order, you know, and... They they take this ragtag group of heroes, as they call themselves in the book, into being something that could challenge the First Order. And, you know, um, I, I think back to, like, the Return of the Jedi, and you look at the fleet that the Rebels have, and it's not a huge fleet at all. Um, no. 
so you you know it can be done, but at that point there was also a pinpointed like place and person that we're going after with you know the Death Star and the Emperor being on the Death Star and all that stuff. So it I, I feel like there's a lot of work to do, and it seems as though I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I I was I was kind of hoping that uh, I guess the Rise of Skywalker would take place maybe two or three years later, um, so yeah. it would feel it's a little a bit year. more yeah doable. So I don't. It, it's it's an interesting question to me how you go from you know six ships to the myriad of ships that we saw in in that trailer with you know the ghost included there. Um, you know, hoping it's the ghost. Crossing my fingers. So I don't know. It it just seems implausible, at least even by the end of this book, because I don't know how they get there, especially with the way I feel like almost in some ways that they've set the power of the First Order to being almost insurmountable. Yes, because they're everywhere. I mean, it just seems that every planet, the First Order is either there or they're coming there. So it does seem to be huge. And of course, anybody who's listening to us talk about this after seeing the rise of Skywalker are probably laughing at some of the things that we're saying now. But since we haven't seen that movie, I'm just going to predict that what is going to happen is that all of a sudden these ships are a big surprise to the resistance. The cavalry comes in as this big surprise because the way these books are set up does not lead you to believe that they're going to have a full army by the time that movie starts. So something's going to happen where they're like, oh, we're at our lowest low, and all of a sudden, boom, all these ships show up. <gasps> the call has been answered. They're all coming. And you need that because the, uh, because the First Order is so huge that you need the, a big resistance to go against them, and everybody's going to step up at the last minute. That was something that I was really interested in in the book is that, this, that the power of the First Order seems to be so massive and one of the ways like you mentioned they're kind of everywhere and the reason that we get no answer to leia's call in the last jedi is you you see that the first order has been rounding up those that are sympathetic to the resistance right after uh the the uh destruction of star killer base and so that's one of the reasons we don't get an answer to the call it, because like you said they are everywhere and not only that but they've already been taking the allies the resistance may have off the board before they can even be called back into action so again as we we're kind of mentioning the, the first order just seems so omnipresent that it it makes it hard to it makes it hard to see how the resistance has a chance. Exactly. Because, you know, it's, I'm, I'm just picturing the fact that when these planets uh, get word that here comes the first order, they may not have an army to fight them. So they just have to go along with the first order. They're suppressed by them, or maybe they are sympathetic and you know, they're, they're part of the first order that they, They've been waiting for something like this to happen because maybe they didn't like the New Republic. It was also suggested in this book that, you know, Leo kind of speculated, well, maybe our transmissions are getting blocked. Maybe the First Order is doing that. It could be a combination of all those things. So for the First Order to take over so quickly, there's so many different options that are on the table from planets that welcome them planets that don't welcome them, but don't have an army to fight them. So they're suppressed by them or planets who maybe are fighting or against them, but their communications are being blocked or the resistance communications being blocked and getting to them. And so no one really knows what's going on. The only way you know what's going on is actually showing up to the planet and see what's happening. So I think there's a lot of miscommunication. There's a, there's a lot of confusion and like a boss of mine used to always say, wherever there's chaos, there's opportunity. And I think that's what the First Order is creating here, is a bunch of chaos giving them the opportunity to do what they want to do. Yeah, I find that really fascinating of the way that the First Order ha has gone about things. Because, you know, we saw in Allegiance, and we're seeing here, too, where they're coming to planets, and they're demanding 
basically money, tribute, to not destroy your planet um, so that they can rebuild the losses they sustained in The Last Jedi. But at the same time, they're also rounding up resistant supporters uh, so that they can't be influential or, or help the resistance gain a footing ag- again. And and I, I think what it goes to show is really just how powerful and big the First Order was coming into The Force Awakens, which I guess kind of still leads to a lot of questions then how that was even possible in the first place. And, you know, I I feel like when this trilogy is done, there's a lot of gap filling that I would like to see (laughs) because there's a lot of questions that have been raised through each of these films that I just feel like even in, in, in that, like how does the first order become so powerful uh, and nobody really seemed to know about it enough that they're, they're not, you know, crapping their pants. <laughs> Oops, I crap my pants. Yeah, especially if they know that, oh, yeah, there's this First Order, and it's way out in the middle of nowhere. They're not even getting involved, but they're building an army. They've got so many ships. they got so many people involved. You would think they would be crapping their pants. Like, holy crap. Like, you know, no pun intended. But it's like they're building up a huge army. They're going to invade any day now. we got to take them out before they even come here. But they just seem to have, well, we're fine. We're not worried about the First Order, except, you know, we have this, you know, group called the Resistance led by Leia. That's, you know, they're they're kind of protecting us. They're kind of watching things. But, you know, we're not that worried. At least that's what it seems like to me. I mean, if anything, you would think going into this trilogy, if there's a First Order like that to that magnitude that the new Republic would know about it. And you would see a huge new Republic army that is just waiting or getting ready to attack themselves. And when you come into the new trilogy, it would be like, Holy crap, look at this. We thought there's been peace all these years, but instead they're both sides are preparing for war and no one has made the first shot yet. And you're just anticipating what is going to happen. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think this is one of the this book here is is really a book that helps kind of sell that, you know, the fact that we are in this place, like that the first order really is this powerful. And again, it's 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 going to be interesting then to see the film, to see how in the world the resistance can find a way to exist you know, like even find a, a way to exist, which is going to be really interesting. So, which they should really be angry. That's the one thing we're missing from these. I would think people in the resistance should really be angry that they really weren't supported and that the new Republic was not backing them with a stronger army and doing anything to prevent the first order from even coming to attack. Like they're just sitting ducks. They're just waiting for something to happen. I mean, now look what now the results is, you know, the capital planet has been destroyed. The government's in disarray. It's gone. And it's like there's just a few of us left. And you would think somebody would be saying they should have listened to us. No one listened to us. They just allowed this to happen. And now we're in the situation that we're in. Well, Bruce, you see what you don't understand is that yeah, the first order is really just the JV squad. You don't have to worry about them. So... Yeah, there's some interesting uh, things to me always has been about this this trilogy um, where there's there's some interesting politics in there uh, about, you know, looking at, you know, threats and that kind of stuff and and whether or not you take them seriously or not. So, yeah, I mean, in, in this book, again, as we're saying, really goes to show the power of the First Order. This this is a mighty organization and one that is has the ability um, it looks like to extinguish, you know, the, the spark of the resistance. And so uh, I think that what I'm I'm really fascinated to see now is is the, the final film to see how it plays out. And I, I think the thing that this book does, you know, kind of summing up the first two things we've been talking about is is really. I can't wait to see how they pull it off, you know, that that's at least i think an exciting thing and hopefully it it turns out to be um an exciting thing 
<laughs> yeah, let's hope. <laughs> yeah, There's otherwise, hope. wow. Whew. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, you know, I know that rebellions are built on hope, but I don't know if resistances are built on hope. So, yeah, who knows? Uh, so, one of the interesting parts of this book is that this is really a story about redeeming the resistance. And in many ways, this story revolves around Poe and his finding uh, penance, redemption for his actions in The Last Jedi. But it's what I found so interesting is the way that it's not just him. That there are a lot of characters here in our story um, that are kind of looking for a way to make right what they had done wrong previously. And I thought that that was really strong because, you know, obviously that was the storyline for Poe in The Last Jedi. But by also making it something that other people in the story are looking towards as well, I think it made the point even stronger. Like, it's not just one character kind of looking for this, but there are a lot of characters looking to find redemption for themselves and to to find a way to make right what they helped make wrong in some areas. Yeah, because wasn't there a part where a character was questioning if uh, they could trust somebody else that was part of the resistance because that person had been part of the Empire Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's where Poe made his speech of, you know, we all have this baggage. And then, you know, even Finn, they point out, you know, well, Finn was even part of the First Order. Like, we're all coming into this with baggage and we're all flawed. You know, it, and nobody's perfect and, and not even these governments and the First Order and the New Republic and the Resistance. No one's perfect. And, you know, it's not what you do. It's It's not what you did, but what you do now, like going forward, how do you make up for what you did? And I really thought, you know, a lot of what Poe was saying, I thought was the strongest part of the book, because that really is the message. Like you're saying, it's, it's redeeming oneself. And I, you know, you can forgive someone for doing wrong, but really you should also be looking to see what they're doing to correct that and what they're going to do moving forward with things. That's the redemption right there. And again, these aren't perfect people. No, I I really agree with you because, you know, I think one of the strongest things about Star Wars has traditionally been its thoughts on redemption. Obviously, you know, to have Space Vader be redeemed at the end of Return of the Jedi is a huge thing, right? But that redemption is not just about, you know, saying one is sorry, but it's about turning around and doing the opposite, making a different choice, you know? And I thought that was what was really clear here in the book was that it, redemption requires action, too. You can't just say your story, but it, it, it truly means taking a different course, a different path, you know? And what I loved is that, you know, Poe says that it's a, a chance to change the galaxy, to change ourselves, um, and it's a choice, uh, and I love that you get Zay from um, uh, Battlefront 2 saying a choice to be better, right? Like, And I thought that that was really strong because, you know, by alluding to the fact that we've all royally screwed up in our lives so many times that sometimes it can be a downer, you know, the the way to move forward for all of us is to find a way to be better. You know, to learn the lesson from our mistake, to turn around and walk the other way, you know. And I, I just think that's a really strong thing because if if someone wants, um, you know, forgiveness in this world, um, to, to earn forgiveness from somebody, obviously it's a gift that somebody gives you forgiveness, but to really truly earn that um, in our world, like, there has to be action showing that you're also going to be willing to change too, you know? Uh, And I think it's just really important. You know, I've seen so much of our world kind of move into a place where like forgiveness just doesn't even seem to be on the table for people, even if they're willingly turned around, you know, and been different. Like we've all done dumb things in our lives that we wish we could take back. Stupid things, you know, uh, horrible things even. And, if if we aren't willing to give each other the chance to be better, then like 
no, none of us have a chance. You know, what you were just saying made me start to think about Luke. And I'm talking about the Luke in The Last Jedi. Yes, I know. He's the same oh, Luke in all Luke. the movies. <laughs> but when we see Luke in The Last Jedi, it's like he he's not perfect either. And he had a situation where he, you know, at least he believes he messed up by losing Kylo Re- or Ben Skywalker becoming Kylo Ren, losing him to Snoke and what happened to his Jedi order. And he feels like he screwed up and he walks away from it. He turns his back on it instead of doing exactly what like you're saying. It's like, you know, OK, we've all screwed up. You got to move on and just make it better. Make that choice to be better. And I don't know if he made the choice to be better. Maybe he thought he was. I don't know. But I think that's a lesson that he could have learned from this. And maybe that's part of the message that we're going to get in the next movie is this choice to be better about when you're down, when you do things wrong, you just pick yourself back up and you just got to keep going. You just got to make up for it and just keep going and keep doing the right things. And maybe that's part of the character of Luke is he had so many successes that when he messed up and failed, he just didn't know what to do about it. And he just closes himself off and he really needs to sit down with Poe and have Poe tell him, look, man, I've screwed up too, but you know what? You can make a choice and do better. Yeah. I, th- I think that's really good. You know, and it, it's funny how that kind of applies. You know, last week, uh, Christy and I talked about Frozen 2. And one of the big themes of that movie is when, when things aren't clear, when you don't know what to do, the only thing to do is to do the next right thing. And I feel like that's kind of the lesson of this book is the next right thing. Um, and each one of these characters knows what that is intrinsically in their heart. Like Poe knows what he needs to do to find redemption, to, to earn, you know, to, to do his penance. Uh, and all of these characters in many ways are doing that. And I think, I think it's just an important lesson for us that, you know, if we want to be better people, if we want to be different people, we have to do the hard work of doing the work. And that doesn't mean quitting or like you mentioned, you know, with with the Luke story of him kind of just like giving up and running away and like thinking the only answer is not doing anything. Inaction is usually the worst, <laughs> the worst uh, way to to fix a problem. And so... I really, I really just appreciated this, and and I think you know you mentioning Luke. There's that um, the the new Secrets of the Jedi book that had just come out, and a lot of that is Luke talking about the ways in which he made mistakes, which I thought was really interesting, and him basically admitting that you know him putting all of his baggage on the Jedi, that wasn't the Jedi's fault; that was his fault. Right, and, exactly. You, you know, so this is this is also that story of of people with the resistance here. Um, I I think part of this is also, you know, Poe knows that if if somebody doesn't stand up to the first order, that they're basically in that same place that Jen talked about. You know, if you let an evil this big and this this awful um, gain a foothold you know, you're going to allow evil to reign forever or for a substantially long time, you know, and, and the galaxy is going to suffer for that. And so like they, they really are the only hope. Um, and, and that means that they need to allow themselves to be forgiven and to move on. You know, again, you just got to go to the next right thing. And it is surprising to me that there isn't more of a resistance to the First Order than what we've seen, because, you know, if if all of a sudden the Nazis of Germany, if Nazis of Germany arose, they were hidden and they just came in and started invading, I think we'd all like freak out, (laughs) you know, and really start fighting. I mean, these people were under the rule of the Empire for two decades And you'd think they'd say, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing that again. No way, no hope, no, 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 no. Unless these planets, a lot of them were okay with the Empire, and we just don't know it. There's so much opportunity, it's like you're saying, 
you know, within this galaxy to explore this on a bigger scale. We're always focused on a core set of characters, but I really would love to know what's going on with all these different planets and, and their own planetary governments. And, and if they just kind of go with the flow or if they're intimidated or whatever, but it's, I would just expect that they would all step up immediately and join this resistance. And that's, that's not, what's happening and maybe they need redeeming you know they're (laughs) they just they're not doing they're not stepping up they're not doing that choice to be better they're allowing things just to happen you know i think it's really interesting that that you kind of moved towards that because i thought that that was really interesting as well and I, I think there is a moment in in the book here that kind of helps explain that and i really appreciated them them you know adding this into the book but there's this whole section about doing what is right and the the imperial character monty who you know works for um uh, captain brat or whatever his name is Winshire brat perfect name because he is a total brat oh my gosh he's awful yeah he is awful so but i loved him having the conversation with the the informant that he meets at the bar and the guy asks him you know um why did you join the resistance and he's like i didn't he's like i just something had felt wrong when he saw the prisoners come in and it it not only felt wrong, it felt a more like morally wrong, and it was such an intense emotion that it had surprised him. And there was this this thing in his head. He's like, I knew what the first order had done with Hosni and Prime and that system, but it just he didn't know anybody personally there who died. And you know, um, the news seeds hadn't been showing, they said actual people suffering. So the evil was just kind of divorced from everyday reality. But when he was like staring face to face at the reality of the suffering that the first order was causing, like he had that reaction. He knew what he needed to do. He knew it was the right thing and he was going to do the right thing, whatever the cost was to him. And I thought that that was so interesting because, you know, it it really played on this idea for me that we have to do the right thing regardless of what the media shows us or, you know, any of these things. Like, if we hear about these things happening or we know that they're happening, we have to be the people that step up and do the next right thing. Otherwise, the First Order will be able to rule. That, that that type of thing, even in our own world, you know, and like I think that's what's happened. The the first order has done a good job of PR, I guess, <laughs> in that they haven't allowed these things to get out for people to really see um, what they're doing until it's way too late. And this, you know, Monty being confronted by that makes that change to do what is right and i just thought that was really interesting way of kind of like showing how easy it is for people to just go along with the flow when they're they they don't see evil face to face in a way that shows itself to be evil and and in many ways it seems like the first order has kind of been able to maybe portray themselves as like angels of light when they're really the devil you know yeah, that's why I said earlier about wherever there's chaos, there's opportunity. And that's what the First Order is, is taking advantage of right now. Because if people aren't seeing news feeds of what's going on, there's a lot of confusion. And, I mean, we see, we watch a movie and we read these books or whatever, and we know everything that really we need to know that's going on. But if you're living this, if you're living in this galaxy... You may be sitting there on the planet going like, did you hear that maybe the the New Republic has been destroyed? How would that happen? Would the First Order just wait? What is that? And who's the first? Like, there may be all kinds of confusion and nobody and everybody's just going their daily lives. And like, well, that doesn't really affect me. I mean, how many times do we read books of people, you know, of planets that are in the, the outer re, you know, rim and, you know, oh, we're out here in the distance. No one affects us. We're on our own. We do our own thing. 
And there might be this gullible thought that, you know, it doesn't really affect us. It doesn't really bother. And then there's those few planets that are affected. And maybe the first order isn't as big as we're thinking. They're just very strategic as to where they're going. There could be a whole bunch of planets out there that have not even seen the first order, have never even seen anybody from the New Republic visit them in forever. And they're just going on their daily business until like years later, maybe a first order person would show up at some point, you know? I mean, it really, I, I, yeah, I really like that scene because with Monty saying this, because it really shows that if it's not in your backyard, it's almost like it doesn't exist or it feels like a fairy tale or it doesn't even seem real. I mean, even when you think about the country you live in, when you hear about, you know, something disastrous helping uh, happening somewhere else, you feel bad, you know, for them or whatever, but it just seems so distant and on the other side of the world. And you might just forget about the next day. And that's just the way it is until it actually is in front of you. Then that affects you. You remember when we were reading and talking about black spire and one of the characters, grandmother says that basically the fact that it's so far away, the first order, why would they care about us? You know? So, Again, I think this is adding to that attitude that we've already been seeing yeah. in these stories. And so this they're kind of answering that question, like how – because this same thing and, – and, and obviously there's a reflection there of the way that the Empire was able to take over because at first it seems benevolent and then it kind of shows its true colors. And by that point, it's too late. And in many ways, the First Order is doing that same thing. Um, you know, they they haven't really shown their true colors to everyone yet until it's too late. But it, what's interesting, I found, is that with that story we got with the First Order with uh, Yama, Madi, and Brat, I think we're seeing the way in which the First Order will be beaten. And because the characters that we've seen in the upper echelons of the First Order are a lot like Brat. And there are people who are going to be able to be beaten because they're so selfish, they're so overconfident in who they are and, and all of those things that that leads to destruction. Like, you know, um, and it's it's the exact same thing, you know, that Luke says uh, to the Emperor, you know, your overconfidence is your weakness. And the First Order, I think, has overconfidence and in, in its strength and its numbers and who it is. And yet, you know, we see them being beaten. And not only that, but they're doing this thing right now. Like we read that comic too. And what are we seeing in this book as well? Because they come to Ryloth and they do <laughs> this the same thing to that planet, which is basically give us money or we're going to like, you know, destroy you basically. And yeah, so what are they going to do? You know? Yeah. What are they going to so do? <laughs> they're um, they're turning people they're going to turn people against them in the galaxy and like you were saying that'll be that moment where uh you get the uh the rise up like you know people are people are going to be tired of it and and they're just going to they're going to turn against the first order so i was going to ask you too um obviously we we talked a little bit about the the characters but you know, that was a big part of this this story, the First Order section with Yama and Madi and Brat and how all that played together. Um, what did you end up thinking of that part of the story? Actually, it kind of was one of my favorite parts of the story. I really could not stand Brat, and I love the name. It's perfect for him. That guy was just perfect First Order crap. And I just like hated that dude and the way he was treating Monty and Yama. And then he beat Yama and that, I mean, she's just a teenage girl. I think they said she's like roughly like 15 or something like that. She's like one of the age of your daughters. Yeah. And he's like beating her. I mean, she's on his side and he doesn't give a crap. You just do what I tell you to do and whatever. It's like you said, like I, this is what I was trying to think of earlier. It's like, when you're talking about the First Order and then there was the Empire, I mean, think about how the Empire was formed. You know, Palpatine pulled strings. 
is very strategic, very smart, very intelligent in how all that was formed. And then the Force Order just comes in with force. I mean, there's just like, you know, brutal force. And that is what Brad is. It's like, I'm just going to beat you. I'm just going to beat you. And there's no intelligence behind it. There's no planning. There's no strategy. There's no manipulating. It's just force. That's all it is. And that is the easiest thing to take down because there's nothing else there. And that's exactly what they do to this guy. You know, it's just, it's so easy. And I think that's why we're going to see the first order go down within a year of its rise because it is too overconfident and it is too, it's just too much of a mess. And I think, you know, I hear people say about, you know, watching the last Jedi and some of the officers feel like buffoons, you know, and, and Hux just seems like he's incompetent, kind of silly. And I think, I feel like that was done really on purpose because I don't think they have their act together. They're just brutal, brutal force. And that's all they are. And they're overconfident about it. And I think that's reflected in Brat and Yama and Monty are the planets. They represent, you know, how there's these planets out there that will sometimes see through that and rise against it. Yeah, no, I, I heartily agree. I think, you know, when it when it comes to the First Order, what we're seeing is, like you said, I think you put it really well, they're just brute force. There, There's not a lot of intelligence behind it. And especially now that Snoke is gone, uh, which seemed to be the only intelligent part of the First Order, uh, with, be, because of the way that he had been able to build this, we, we get the sense like, he had been able to play this game and fool people enough into thinking that the First Order wasn't a bad thing because people knew about him, right? We know Leia knew about him and Han and the New Republic seemed to have known about, you know, Snoke and the First Order. So he, he seemed to have been able to do something. And what I find interesting is that now that he's gone, it's just a bunch of brutes running around trying to throw their weight. And like you said, that that doesn't last for long, you know, um, usually because you just keep punching them in the face until they go away. So because that's all they know. And that seems what's going to be hit to happen to the first order. So um, one of the, the big things in this book was and I, I think for me, the my favorite part of the book was the way that it, it finally started to con- it was connecting the dots that. This book uses the Aftermath series, it uses Bloodline, it uses um, the DLC we got for Battlefront 2, it uses the Poe comics, it uses um entire bit of sequel trilogy, like, books and comics finally are starting to come to he- together in some kind of cohesiveness. Uh, and, and to me, I was just really glad to finally see that this stuff was paying off in some way. At least in the book, I'll put a caveat and say that if all of this stuff is ignored in the movie, it'll kind of make me pissed. <laughs> I would say get ready to get pissed because I have a feeling it will be ignored. I don't know. Uh, but this did feel almost like classic EU because it's it, yes, it just pays thank off. Thank you. Yeah, it pays off because all these other things just kind of seem like to be their own things, their own standalone things. And this is like acknowledging like, oh, yeah, the aftermath characters, they play a part in this. And what, you know, there's something in Bloodline that plays a part. Like all these characters, they're interwoven or events have happened and they all play into leading into this. And it makes a whole lot of sense because that point when you're reading this book, it pays off where you're where you've read these other things. Yes. Aftermath wasn't all that great. A lot of people didn't like them. We've reviewed it here on the show. And, but it paid off, you know, I mean, it's, it's great when you read this book and go, I know who these characters are and I know what happened in those other books. I mean, that's where it feels like it's the old EU. Absolutely. I I think you nailed it on the head when you said it feels like the EU. And to, to me, that's something that I've been waiting for for so long with all of this, you know, because you want to feel like, you know, and we talked about this at the very beginning, especially when we were re- re- you know, recording those episodes about the original Aftermath trilogy, you know, the first or second book. You know, we wanted, if it's going to be canon, it needs to be important, right? And 
So one of the things that I'm really interested in is that are we at the point now in the sequel trilogy where they're really ready to just say, why not just pay off fans? Like, what could it hurt at this point? And this book kind of seemed to say that and do that. And I thought that was kind of wonderful that they finally just like paid us off for all of the time that we've been putting in with these books and these comics and these video games, you know, to have Nora Wexley and, you know, Wedge come back was great. I liked that. I thought that was wonderful. Um, I hope that they'll be in the movie somehow. The fact that they they used so much of the bloodline story was fantastic. And I mean, bringing Ransom Castrofo back was was great. I, w- I loved seeing that. Um, which, by the way, Bruce, my wife had a fantastic thought. You know, we heard that Matt Smith was going to be in this movie, The Rise of Skywalker. And of course, everybody will laugh, you know, when they hear this later. But do you think, uh, would it be cool if that's who Matt Smith was playing? I could so see that. I could see him as that character. He definitely has the right look that... I could see him playing this character, which is great too, because anybody who's read, who reads this book, who hasn't read Bloodline, they're going to see this character's name and there's past references and they're going to scratch their head and say, where, where did this, who's this person? Like, where did this come from? Was it this in another book or something? And they go to Wikipedia and guess what happens? Now they want to read Bloodline. This gets, this is that whole interconnection because what happens is if you read things as they come out, then you're good to go. But if you read things, that uh, you haven't read, if <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. If you read something that just came out, but you haven't read previous things, this sometimes gets you to want to read those other things. So that's where it kind of feels like the whole EU. But yes, I can see Matt Smith as Ransom. Well, and that's, I like that you said that too, because my wife, again, and she just finished reading the book. She'd been listening to the audiobook, And so we were talking about it today. And one of the things that she mentioned, and we ended up talking about was like, why wouldn't you put this stuff in the Rise of Skywalker, these people? Like, you've spent all the time in this book building these people up. Why wouldn't you do it? So, because like you said, then people see them and they're like, and then they look it up and they realize, oh, there's these books about them. Well, then they go buy the books and they read, you know? So it's like, yeah. why not take the risk? And it, it's it's kind of the same thing. And, and the reason why it's, I say I have a little bit of hope that they will do this kind of stuff in the rise of Skywalker is that, well, they've been doing this in the Mandalorian, you know, using bits and pieces from, you know, different parts of star Wars lore. They've been using the EU, which is cool, but they've been using uh, rebels in clone wars solo brought in, you know, Darth Maul. They just went for it. Um, you know, so we've seen places in star Wars where they're starting to do this. And, They've also been a little bit bolder in, uh, I would say, um, their their video games. I just played through Jedi Fallen Order, and they were willing to add some interesting things to the Star Wars canon in that that game. And so I I just I feel like maybe they're they're just ready to take some of these kind of creative risks, but again, pay off the fans. Like, just pay us off. Like, we're the ones keeping this going anyway. <laughs> and, and so, like, if you make fans happy, I think it's a good thing. And, and like, even just the way that they use the Poe comics. I don't know if you've read the Poe comics, Bruce, but... Yes, I have. So, but the, the fact that they use that last, uh, that last uh, few issues of the Poe comic to tie directly into, you know, this story as well. And so by bringing all that together, the fact that you have Inferno Squad and you have Black uh, Squadron back, you know, you have elements of Phantom Squadron from, you know, the the Aftermath trilogy, you've got Ransom Castrofo back. I mean, and we didn't even mention that General Riken is back. Yes. Which is, that's, that's really, cool. really cool. Yeah, from Empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Which is so funny because I, I, I turn on Disney Plus after watching The Mandalorian, the last episode, and then it recommends Empire. And I had watched some of it the other day and I turned it on where it had last left off and there was Riken like right away. I was like, I just read about him in this latest book. <laughs> yeah. And it's I mean, to me, it's just it's cool, um, but it's good friend of the show. Nick Anastasio has said, look, if you're not going to use the stuff in a connected universe, then don't tell a story in a connected universe. Go tell your own story in a different universe. You know, you have all this stuff out there. There's no reason not to use it. And I, this book kind of finally felt like they were like, you know what? We're going to, to bring this all together and we're going to pay off the fans. And I was really happy to see that. That's, it's been my, it was my favorite part of the book. So, And not only that, but they worked in Maz Kanata too. Yes, which was interesting because we've heard that she will be in the movie. So I was interested to see her in the way that she kind of played into things. It added kind of, I think, to the mystery of the character of Maz Kanata, who she is. She still seems like an enigma. So, um, but the way that she helped them seemed very Maz-ish, if that's a word. Yeah, it's not. She kind of does this thing where it's like, I'm not helping you, but I am helping you. And they're like, what? Just just go on. Just 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 head off. I There's nothing I can do for you now, but you'll see. You'll get it. It's like <laughs> like I, I, she's somebody who would be very frustrating to deal with. Like, you know, you ask her to help and she doesn't. But then yet she somehow does. Yeah. Mm. Well, and, and I thought. It has slight bits of Yoda in it, right? You know, yes. like that. that it, it, there's this enigma about them. You don't quite understand them, but... Oh my gosh, she's baby yeah. Yoda's mom. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I, I like that. Another couple of random things. Um, so uh, do you think that Rose know that Finn thinks they're just friends? Um, That's a good question. At the time when I read the book... I just assumed that she does. I I felt that it was kind of like, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, you remember that thing at the end of The Last Jedi? Well, we're just letting you know that nothing came of that. Okay. And I just was like, oh, okay, we're just brushing that off like it never happened. It didn't mean anything. But you're right. It's Finn telling us that, oh, yeah, that wasn't anything. We're just friends. But, yeah, we didn't hear Rose's point of view on that. So, yeah. Maybe I'm going to guess that she knows and it was she doesn't care. I don't know. But do <laughs> you remember reading that comic that seems to take place after this that let us know that Rose was kind of worried about Finn in a way that seems very like. So I don't know if I think they need to have a DTR. Yeah. They need to find the relationship. So. <laughs> Which. You know, everybody <laughs> seems to have a great relationship with Poe's hair. Oh my gosh, what is up with Poe's hair? I'm so glad you said that because I, the spark of the resistance, which I know you guys covered, I haven't listened to it yet because I literally just finished listening to the audio book on the way home today from work, and I mean, it's like every other chapter they were referring to Poe's hair, and I'm like, weren't they doing that in Resistance Reborn? What is up with Poe's hair? Like, it's almost like they need to make a movie, The Rise of Poe's Hair, because it's so popular. <laughs> Apparently, Poe is McDreamy. Exactly. <laughs> He's the McDreamy of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> Which, I mean, I get. You know, I when we were at Star Wars Celebration, uh, we were going towards one of those rooms that was giving away one of the exclusives. So we're going up those uh, escalators. Mm-hmm, and yeah. behind us, like, we're getting on the escalator. We're about to get in the escalator. We're making the turn around, and there's a section by the windows where they've got, you know, seating, and they were doing the portrait shots for uh, the characters from the Rise of Skywalker. And who is sitting there? But oh, Poe Dameron himself, and man, Oscar Isaac's is a good-looking dude. He's just a good-looking guy. So yeah. I totally get it that people are obsessed with Poe's looks because he he looks good. It's the hair. It's the hair. It's the and hair, you know, yeah. I know everybody can't see us, but, you know, Matt's got some good hair going, too. <laughs> well, we'll just... I, I like that we... Yes, we'll just call Poe McDreamy. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. 
I wanted to ask you just about the finale of the book, because if I have one complaint, I feel like this book is too short. I feel like it wraps up too fast. I'm glad you brought this up. I didn't think of that, but yeah, yes, I can see that for sure. And I'll tell you why I didn't really notice that at first, because the one thing, and it, I I don't even know how to convey this because it's not really a complaint, but it's going to sound like it is. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of talking in this book. There mm-hmm. isn't a whole lot of action. And as you started off this podcast, this episode, by saying that, you know, this is an adult Star Wars novel. So many of these recent more adult Star Wars novels feel a little less Star Wars-y. I hate it when we say that kind of stuff, Star Wars-y, Star Trek-y or whatever. But, you know, it doesn't have a whole lot of action and adventure to it. There's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of talking. And as I'm reading this book, I was like, why isn't there like something going on in a sort of action kind of way and some kind of adventure? We're just going from planet to planet and talking and talking and talking. Although I really enjoy that because it's very insightful based on what we've discussed. But it wasn't until we got to the last fifth of the book, then all of a sudden, boom, now we're getting a bunch of action. So it did feel like it got wrapped up at the same time. I'm like, okay, well, there's your action and adventure. You just got to throw it at the end of the book just because wow that's how you need to end a star wars story yeah i i think the the thing about it to me was the author threw a lot of problems at the characters in in each of the different missions because they what's crazy about this book is they all come together and they then go on three different missions um, you know, they, they go to that junk world so they can pick up some, some starfighters. Uh, and then they, there's two different sets of teams on Corellia. One trying to steal, uh, these ships as well. But then the other team trying to get a hold of this list. This, this list that the First Order has of all the people that it's been, you know, uh, taking and putting in these kind of like, uh, work camps all around the the galaxy um people that were you know sympathetic to the resistance and like you said i i would say that that's probably about a fourth of the book the 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 last bit of the book and it just goes by like that and it just felt like it was a little rushed and i also felt like it would have been actually nice to have a little bit more at the end, like after these missions and allowed maybe us to have connected better with, you know, the comic that, you know, the Allegiance or Spark of the Resistance to just give us a, a little bit more on, you know, kind of the status then of the Resistance. Because we set, spent so much time on how little they had, that it would have been nice to kind of put them in a place where we're just we're seeing how they could come over the horizon, you know, but it, it just felt it's really rushed. And then Poe gives a speech at the end and we're done. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much how it is. And then I almost felt like it ended that way. So it would allow for these other books to fill in the rest of the year before the rise of Skywalker. You know, not much of a horizon, not much of a hope. It's just, yeah, we're going to can kind of continue in this direction for a while. Yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, all in all, it comes down to what you would rate then, uh, Resistance Reborn. Well, I really did enjoy this book. Again, it didn't have a whole lot of action going on in it, a lot of talking, but I like a lot of that insight. I thought there were some great character moments. I really loved some moments between Poe and Finn. There weren't a whole lot of those, but what we did get, I really liked. There was... I mean, Ray was in the book. We didn't get much of Ray, though. We got some scenes with Ray and Leia, which I liked. Uh, but I was kind of missing the fact that Ray was just kind of like a background character, like a very minor character. But that was fine because I liked getting to see a little more of Poe. I know you can't concentrate on everybody, but it was great seeing Poe with the Black Squadron and, and just really seeing those minor characters being developed and their interaction and their infighting with each other and learning from each other and just learning how the resistance is going 
at this moment with the first order and how it's just, there isn't much of a resistance group and how are they going to go up against this big and organization and all what's going with the plans and such. So anyway, long story short, I'm going to give this, um, 400 out of 500 for first order ships that we still don't know what the other 100 are doing yet. <laughs> you know, I think Rebecca Roanhorse did a very good job with this book. And like you said, the beauty of this book is that it does feel like the old EU in the sense that it has all these pieces in the board that it's not afraid to use. And I love that. I absolutely love that. And I, I think this is the thing that I'm really interested to see, honestly. Once The Rise of Skywalker ends, I I want a ton of books in this era. Or I want a you know, cartoon series in this era or something to do this where it's filling in all of these story gaps. And it'll be interesting, obviously, to see what questions we still have left once The Rise of Skywalker comes out. But I think this book did a great job of of kind of helping set maybe the foundation for what the resistance will look like when we get to, you know, the um we get to the rise of Skywalker. I, I like to think that the Corellian Corvette that we see in the trailer is the one that they stole here from Corellia. Uh, so that's fun. And, you know, I hope that we see Ransom Castrofo and we see Wexley, Nora Wexley and, and Wedge. I hope we see somebody playing Riken, you know, all of these. Uh, I hope we see all of Black Squadron. You know, um, we had uh Jess in The Force Awakens, I hope we see her back, you know. So all of that kind of stuff, I I just want this stuff to be there because I again, I think this book when it's at its best, it's paying off the fans. And I hope that the film does that as well. So Bruce, uh we have a brand new segment here on the 602 Club. It's called Recommendations. And that's where we recommend something that we've either been reading or watching or listening to uh, and so I'm wondering, what are you going to recommend to the listeners? Okay, so I do want to recommend something, but it's something I haven't read. But it's been recommended to me. I've had it on my shelf for like probably 20 years and have never read it. But it's a, it's a EU, it's a Legends book, Star Wars The Mandalorian Armor. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because that we're watching the Mandalorian series. I think now would be a good time to read this book. It's by K.W. Jetter. And spoiler alert, uh, Boba Fett is survives the Sarlacc pit. And I think it would just be an interesting read now that we've had the Mandalorian and that's going to be ending its season soon. And then going into a book called The Mandalorian Armor, I think is a good recommendation. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, I am going to recommend season four of The Man in the High Castle. Um, been watching that, and I only have two episodes left, and I'm really enjoying it. So I'm going to recommend that. We've covered the last uh, three seasons on the 602 Club, and hopefully we'll get Nick back um, as we go into the new year to talk about that too. So I highly recommend that. I'm I'm really interested to see how it all wraps up. Um, but Bruce, you know, if anyone wants to catch up with you, it's so great having you back. We love having you here in the 602 Club to talk about another Star Wars book. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. You can find me here on the network doing literary treks with Dan Gunther and live from the edge where we do a live show on YouTube the day after a Discovery premiere. And that's what... And that's with Brandy Jacola. And uh, you can find me on the Star Wars Report podcast. We're doing a podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays leading up to The Rise of Skywalker. And that's mainly with Riley Blanton. I'm not doing as many this month, but uh, he's, he's the lead and he's taken that on. And he and I are going to see The Rise of Skywalker on the 19th together. So I'm sure we'll have a review that next day. And, uh, of course, you can find me in the Babel Conference. Well, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, under the name MattRushing02. I am here on the network. Uh, also doing, when Chris Jones and I get a chance, we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine and the Orb. 
You can find me over on the Nerd Party Network. I'm doing two shows. If you love Star Wars, and you probably do if you're listening to this, please check out Aggressive Negotiations that I do with John Mills, where we talk about Star Wars each and every week. Uh, you can also find me doing Outpost or Drea Kaufman. We talk about Harry Potter one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, you can find me doing Cinema Stories, where I talk about films through the lens of faith with my good friend Courtney. But thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you. 